Welcome. This is Raul Lowey Contreras. This is the Contreras Report, Business Mexico. There is much to discuss since our last time together. Mexico is making all kinds of moves in all kinds of directions, and the pandemic is hurting it very, very profoundly. They now, Mexico now is third ranked in death totals or deaths attributable to the COVID-19 virus. Okay, among other things, we're going to discuss corruption. AMLO, that's Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico's campaign against corruption. And he is in court now, the he, the government is in court now, prosecuting a member of the previous administration who was ahead of the government oil company, Pemex. Political appointments. Look, I don't care what country you're in, and I don't care how democratic you say you are, and how much, or how liberal you are, and how much for the people you are, you appoint political hacks to appointed jobs, and I'll show you a great example of that. Well, despite the fact that AMLO, the president of Mexico, the first words out of his mouth as president was that he was going to change the war on the drug cartels to a hugs rather than bullets uh, philosophy or implementation of uh, the government's actions towards crime and drugs. And uh, But uh, that hasn't worked out so well. Murder rates are record levels in the country. And uh, uh, he's now turning towards a little more of uh, law enforcement. Water with the United States. Yeah, there's a treaty uh, dating back to 1944 about the division of water uh, along the border. Because the Rio Grande, for example, is 1,200 miles of the 1,900-mile border. And so both countries share the water from the Rio Grande. Now, the Rio Grande starts in the United States, so it, it gets complicated. It's like the Colorado River uh, situation. We'll discuss that. Political protests are not only continuing in Mexico against Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the president, but they're all over the place, and we'll talk about that. The government enters distribution of medical products. Rather than putting out a bid, a request for proposal from private companies to distribute medical products and uh, drugs and medications all over the country, the government has just decided they're going to start up their own company to do it, which is uh, really ridiculous. I'm sorry. So the political protests are continuing against AMLO, and now he's taking the government into an area which it has no, in which it has no experience. Food labels. Yeah, they've come to Mexico. Now, like Campbell's Soups, for example, they have these little rectangles, black rectangles with the warnings of uh, uh, sodium content, uh, fat content, uh, calories, and what have you, just like we have in the United States. And so that's very, very good because in Mexico, weight, obesity is a monstrous problem. I see it every day when I'm out and about here in Baja, California. These people... These people, Mexicans, are lead the world in obesity. It used to be the United States, but now it's Mexico. And I tell you, you see five-foot-tall women that weigh 300 pounds wearing tight pants. <laughs> it's ridiculous. But anyway, food labels have come to Mexico finally. The Mexican Supreme Court has thrown an obstacle in the way of uh, abortion in, the, in uh, the United States of Mexico. Uh, abortion is legal in two places in Mexico, in the state of Oaxaca, which is in the south, and in the uh, Ciudad de Mexico, Mexico City. There was a Supreme Court decision affecting uh, decision or uh, uh, some actions in uh, the state of Veracruz, and their decision, the court's decision, put an end to the open desire for free and unlimited abortions, at least in Veracruz. In Mexico City, one of the world's largest cities, and by the way, a city in which I was born, 
Uh, there is a move by a, an ally of President López Obrador to ban Airbnb. I'll discuss that in detail. On the good news side, the administration of López Obrador has announced a new pension plan, and it's applauded by business. We'll talk about that because if you plan to go into Mexico and start a business or to take a business from the U.S. into Mexico or to open a branch, you need to know that you're going to be paying 15% of the individual payroll into what we would call our Social Security system in the new pension plan in Mexico. Pemex, once again, is a gigantic loser for the second quarter. We'll discuss that. But... Despite the pandemic and despite the American shutdown or lockdown, exports have rebounded in the month of June from previous lows in May and, and um, in April and May because of the lockdown in America. Uh, the, as America reopens its economy, the exports from Mexico to the United States have uh, jumped, have uh, spiked upwards. At the same time, the Mexican economy apparently has bottomed out, just like the American economy. Remember, in the United States, uh, the GDP contracted at an annual rate of 32% down. And the same thing is true in Mexico. We'll discuss that. And then we'll maybe make a few comments here and there about what's going on. And I will then launch into part two of Mexican history. Remember last time in issue 110, we discussed the pre-Columbian Indian cultures and civilizations of Mexico and what it was that Hernando Cortez, the Spanish conquistador, found when he landed in 1519. Let's get started. The former chief of Pemex, is in court again for the second time. What he's done is he's pleading guilty. He quit fighting, well, he's pleading not guilty. He quit fighting extradition in Spain. The Mexican government sent a plane for him and brought him back. They took him straight to a hospital. He's got some kind of a health problem. So he's appearing in court by television. And uh, he is pleading innocent to taking bribes from a Brazilian construction company called Odebrecht. Emilio Lozoya pleads innocent to bribe charges. Charges, or the prosecutors say, Lozoya was paid a multi-million dollar bribe by the Brazilian company Odebrecht. Video link between the hospital and the court is because, like I said, he's being treated for something, and he's been in the hospital. He was taken directly there from the airport when the plane landed. He headed Pemex, the National Petroleum Oil Company, between 2012 and 2016, appointed by his friend Enrique Peña Nieto, president between 2012 and 2018. He was directly appointed. It wasn't uh, uh, a Senate appointment that was confirmed by the president. It was the other way around. The prosecutor charges that Lozoya was paid a total of $10.5 million to throw construction contracts towards the Brazilian construction company. We will see what happens to that court case. Now, continuing on the campaign against corruption that AMLO, Lopez Obrador, says that he is embarking on and that he will clean up corruption in Mexico uh, before his term ends in five years. What he's done now is, despite the fact that uh, he took the army off of the drug war uh, against the cartels, he's not, but he put, some, uh, put the army on the streets to combat crime and the murder rate, which uh, hasn't lessened very much. And uh, now he's given the army a new duty. And that is, in his campaign against corruption, AMLO has put the army, taken them out of the garrisons and put them into ports of entry to supervise the collection of customs duties as imports are checked in from around the world. AMLO claims that the customs, the regular customs service, 
is uh, very corrupt and is allowing goods into Mexico for pittance of what the taxes or the tariffs should be. He's expanding the Army's role from streets. Now, the, you know, the Army doesn't fight anybody. They haven't fought an enemy, domestic or foreign, since 1994 when they fought the rebels in Chiapas and they bottled them up and uh, ended uh, quickly. But they have nothing else to do. So they have been patrolling the streets, at least here in Baja, California, and the highways. And now they're in charge of collecting customs duties. Now, this is interesting because the army is notoriously corrupt in Mexico. The re there's a reason, for example, why when there's a big drug bust and you see it on television, on American television or Mexican television, what you see hauling the bad guys around that they've arrested, the cartel guys, is Mexican Marines, sometimes trained by U.S. Marines, Mexican Marines, which is part of the Mexican Navy, unlike the U.S. Marine Corps, which is separate from the Navy. It's in the Navy Department, but it's not part of the Navy. The Mexican Marines are part of the Mexican Navy. You'll notice over the years that all of the big drug busts are done by Mexican Marines, and there's a reason for it. They have two main bases, one on the Pacific Coast and one on the Gulf Coast in Veracruz. And when there's a big raid going on uh, someplace in Mexico, they load up Marines on transport planes, and they fly them, and nobody knows where they're going except the admiral who's in charge, and he tells the pilots once they get up in the air where they're going. No one is permitted to know what the object of the raid is or who the, the target is. And so what happens is they fly the Marines to, say, Hermosillo or Tijuana or Veracruz or, or not Veracruz, uh, Tampico or Yucatan, wherever they're going to have a big deal, a big raid, a uh, big confrontation with drug cartels. And they fly them in without notifying the local people and all they have is trucks waiting to take the troops to where they're going. And then they conduct the, the, uh, the attack and the, uh, against the target. They collar, as the American police say, they collar the bad guys. And those are the, you, you see the, they have identifying, uh, armored vests that would say Marina. That's means the, uh, Navy actually. But, uh, in this case, they're Marines and, uh, they're the ones that capture the drug lords and do the shootouts and all that. They're the ones that captured El Chapo uh, when uh, he was captured, who's now in an American prison, of course. Anyway, uh, the reason they do that in Mexico is because the army is notoriously corrupt, as I said. So they have garrisons, like there's one not too far from where I am right now, about uh, 20 miles, um, maybe 25 kilometers, something like that. And they're locally based and their officers and their commanding officers and their field officers are all living in the town where they're garrisoned. And as a result, they're easy prey for the local drug cartel guys. It's very easy to bribe a Mexican army officer. Very easy. Because even if you only get one out of a hundred, they're easy to find. You find them in the bars and the restaurants. You find them uh, watching uh, soccer games at their kids' school. They're, they're not hard to find. But the Marines are a lot harder to find because they're only on two bases in, on the Gulf Coast and on the Pacific Coast. And so finding a Marine commanding officer is awfully hard to do. And if you find one, chances are he's not going to bite because he knows better. You know, he's, he's really a, a different uh, breed than the uh, local garrisoned army officers are throughout Mexico. So the army is going to be collecting customs duties in an effort to end corruption. Good luck with that, Mr. President. Okay, I want to talk about political hacks now. I don't care what political system you're in. Mexico, the United States, Great Britain, Germany, Russia, it doesn't matter. If you have appointive political jobs or governmental jobs to hand out, you do so to your friends and your buddies or people you can corrupt to be a to loyal to you. 
You'll notice President Trump is really big on loyalty and he fires, literally fires people that don't swear allegiance to him personally, not to the United States. But anyway, so what happened in Mexico, a woman reporter, a journalist, well-known, who specializes in military affairs, asked the government for uh, to buy some space on her blog to support her, to help support her. Next thing you know, President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador has appointed her as Consul General in Istanbul, Turkey. She's not an experienced diplomat. She has never worked in the Foreign Service. She has no idea. And I'd be willing to bet she didn't even know where Istanbul was. I'll be willing to bet. Now, it turns out, Amo, when he was asked about this at his news conference, he goes, well, he looked at a list of journalists, uh, and then he picked her out because she hadn't received any money from the government. Yes, journalists in Mexico, many of them get paid by the government for whatever reason, and that's not kosher. Uh, if I were being paid by anybody, by the government of Mexico or the government of the United States to make this podcast, um, it would not be ethical unless I told you, you know, but of course I'm not about to tell you. So it has been my pleasure to have known several consuls generals of different countries, most from Mexico that have been stationed in San Diego or Los Angeles, both cities with extensive connections to Mexico. For the past 50 years, I've known every consul general from Mexico in San Diego. They have been professional diplomats with extensive foreign relations experience. So, I joined many Mexicans in wondering what President Lopez Obrador was thinking when he named Maria Isabel Arvide Limon, a blogging journalist with no experience in foreign relations, as Consul General of Mexico in Istanbul, Turkey. I have one word, a one word question. Why? Speaking of more corruption, I believe that President Lopez Obrador has totally failed in protecting the Mexican people uh, from uh, the drug cartels. Totally, totally failed. That's because he switched from hard charging offense to a total defense, which he calls hugs, not bullets. He thinks that somehow will lessen the cartel and the crime problem in Mexico. And of course, record numbers of people are being murdered now. Record numbers. The boss of the Santa Rosa de Lima cartel in Guanajuato has been busted. Now, it started off as a drug cartel, but lately they've been, he, the cartel has been specializing in stealing oil from Pemex pipelines. They simply find a pipeline, a Pemex pipeline, and they punch a hole in it, and they drain off oil, and then go sell it on the black market. Well, that's pretty good, actually, when you stop thinking about it. Now, Lopez Obrador's hugs not bullets philosophy is not working. But some federal agencies are still doing their job, and although AMLO, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, is foolish in not continuing the war on cartels, started by President Felipe Calderón, Hundreds of thousands of Mexicans died during the, his term, Felipe Calderon's term of 20, uh, 2006 to 2012. But much of those people, despite criticism, were drug people. And killing drug people, it's not that bad. Somebody has to die. Might as well be the drug criminals. I mean, they're the ones that arm themselves, and they're the ones that attack police stations. And they're the ones that are bragging about they have be they're better armed than the police. So, the boss of the Santa Rosa de Lima cartel is called El Marro, the sledgehammer. Well, the sledgehammer is in the pokey now. And it's better for Mexico that he's in prison than not. Hugs instead of bullets? Uh-uh. Now, most of you know, if you visualize a map of North America, you look with the U.S., the Canada, the U.S., and Mexico. That's North America. You'll notice that the border between the United States and Mexico is mostly 
the Rio Grande River. It's about 1,200 miles from where it enters the, the border uh, from New Mexico, and it, it wanders for 1,200 miles to the Gulf of Mexico. The other 700 miles is between El Paso and San Diego, and uh, that also is intersected by a river, the Colorado River. Now, both the Colorado River water and uh, Rio Grande water are uh, agreed to by Mexico and the United States to split the water. In other words, Mexico's entitled, even though most of the Colorado and the Rio Grande River, well, most of the Colorado River is in the United States, but its outlet is into the Gulf of California in Mexico. And the Rio Grande, most of it is the actual border between Texas and Mexico. And then it goes up into the Rockies uh, in uh, northern uh, New Mexico and southern Colorado. And um, uh, so the water is split by treaty. Treaty was signed in 1944. But the first treaty, by the way, was in 1879. Uh, but in 1944, the current agreement was uh, negotiated, and we've been living with that ever since. However, there are some problems with distribution. So uh, some protests in uh, the state of Chihuahua, which is just south of El Paso, uh, hit the streets the other day because farmers in the state of Chihuahua say no water should go to the U.S. until their needs are fulfilled. And that if water is sent from Chihuahua, Mexico, to the U.S. by pipeline from reservoirs, that might, might cause a shortage in Chihuahua of water for farming. So violence has broken out. A dozen cars were burned. This was a week ago. A dozen cars were burned and highway toll booths, federal highway toll booths were burned and state and federal offices were attacked and burned, mostly Molotov cocktails. Now, the PAN political party, Partido Acción Nacional, P-A-N, runs the state of Chihuahua and their PAN legislators charge that Lopez Obrador's party, the Morena party, is instigating the violence. Lopez Obrador says Pan, the Pan party is responsible. 17 people were arrested in the violence that occurred the other day. Uh, what will happen? Mexico will deliver the water to the U.S. because next time it might be the other way around. Okay, you understand? Speaking of Lopez Obrador and violence, let's go to one step before violence is political protest. Well, the political protests in Mexico continue. For the fifth time, protesters in 13 different cities and states around Mexico protested with car and motorcycle caravans demanding that Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, president of Mexico, resign the presidency. Demonstrations occurred in the states of Baja California. I saw one myself. Guanajuato, which is one of the more productive uh, agricultural areas of Mexico, the state of Hidalgo, and the very important state of Jalisco, which is home, of course, to Chihuahua, uh, to, I'm sorry, Guadalajara, uh, tequila, and uh, not just tequila the booze, but tequila the town where tequila the booze is made, and Puerto Vallarta. Michoacan, from where most of the Mexican avocados come from, the state of Oaxaca, which everyone knows is the almost pure Indian state of uh, Mexico. The state of Puebla, where the Volkswagen plant, the largest Volkswagen plant in the world, is located. The state of Querétaro, which is in the mountains. Quintana Roo, which is the Cancun area. And the state of Sonora, which is just south of Arizona and includes the border crossing of Nogales, which is very important because of all the agricultural products that come north and home to partial home of the Apaches and the Yaqui Indians, of which I am part. Anyway, and then the state of Yucatan, which is right next to Quintana Roo. You all have visualized the map and there it sticks out into the Gulf of Mexico. And of course, Mexico City itself, which is treated as a separate state, even though it's just the Mexico City, Ciudad de Mexico. One reason for the demonstrations, believe it or not, in the midst of this pandemic that's now 
spiked Mexico into the third largest number of dead people in the world after the United States and Brazil, Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, the president of Mexico, has slashed the federal health budget. Obesity and diabetes programs have been cut by 51% between January and May. The cut amounts to 1.88 billion pesos, which in U.S. dollars is $84.5 million that have been cut from the health budget during a pandemic in which thousands of people are dying. Mr. President, what kind of a fool are you? Now, there are politicians in Mexico that don't like how the government is handling, how the federal government is handling the COVID-19 epidemic. Nine governors, nine different governors, called for the resignation or firing of Lopez Obrador's appointed coronavirus czar, Deputy Health Minister Hugo lopez Gatel, G-A-T-E-L-L. The Federal Alliance is a group of 11 governors. Now, one governor didn't participate in this. The other one was opposed to it. But it includes the governors of Aguascalientes, where many cars are made, Chihuahua, that includes the massive industrial complex in and around Juarez, Ciudad Juarez, Coahuila on the Mexican border, through which a lot of trade to, to and from the United States goes through, Tiny little Colima, the state with the big volcano in it. Mountainous Durango, where many American Western movies have been made. Guanajuato, which is where Vicente Fox won the governorship in 1994, but it was stolen by the PRI. They actually just declared the results null and void and appointed a caretaker governor. And that started Vicente Fox's rise to the presidency of Mexico. And that's when Santa Fox won in 2000. Hands down. And changed the whole history of Mexico. Another state, Jalisco, the home of Guadalajara, which is a great educational center, and the home of Tequila, in the town of Tequila. By the way, a friend of mine uh, was in a, he lives in Puerto Vallarta part-time, and he has a condo there. <laughs> he went to Tequila to try, he's a big uh, fancier, of uh, tequila. So he went there and he found a distillery that makes tequila that had a big sign over the door when you walk into the place. It said, this distillery was 200 years old when George Washington was born. <laughs> I think that's funny. Anyway, uh, Jalisco, which includes Guadalajara and the city of or the town of Tequila, where tequila is made. The only tequila in the world is made. And uh, home to Puerto Vallarta. And uh, the state of Michoacan, which is famous for its avocados. Avocados from Mexico. Nuevo Leon, which is the industrial, includes the industrial giant of Monterrey, Mexico. San Luis Potosí, where they make cars. And Tamaulipas on the Texas border, where a lot of trade goes back and forth. Terrible consequences of a stupid government philosophy of how to work with the pandemic. 46,688 deaths as of Friday, July 31 in Mexico. Like President Trump, President Lopez Obrador ignored the pandemic, called it a, it would be a flu and it would be over by summertime and that it wasn't much to be concerned about. And to this day, the president of Mexico does not wear a mask except when he's on a commercial airliner. And neither, by the way, does this deputy health minister, Hugo lopez Gatel. He hasn't worn a mask until very recently. Now he's promoting it. lopez Gatel and lopez Obrador. Do not wear masks except once in a while. And the people of Mexico are dying like flies, just like in the U.S. All because the presidents of both countries ignored the problem when they should have been on it. Stopping an airplane from flying in from China after 400,000 people from, have arrived from China doesn't cut it. Especially when the disease entered the east coast of the United States through New York. 
and the flights weren't stopped from Europe for a while. Okay, face masks. 400,000 cases of COVID-19 in Mexico. Hugo Gatel calls on Mexicans to wear face masks as an auxiliary measure, quote-unquote, to help stop the spread of the virus. He, like Lopez Obrador, his boss, seldom wears a mask, as I said. Lopez Obrador has only been seen wearing a mask while flying on a commercial airliner. He is trying to sell the plane that the president uh, before him had as a presidential plane like our Air Force One. So he can't sell it. Nobody wants to buy it. And so he write, He went to Washington, D.C. the other day. He goes commercial. So he flew to the United States and had to change flights just like everybody else. And uh, he wore a mask on that flight. Lopez Obrador says there is no scientific evidence that masks are effective. On that, he mimics Trump. 44,876 deaths attributed to COVID-19. The fatality rate is 11.1 per 100 cases. The world rate is 3.9. So you see how serious the problem is in Mexico? Lopez Obrador has been known in my view, to make some very stupid statements. Here's one, quote, I am going to put on a mask, you know when, when there is no corruption anymore, then I will put on a mask. So we have an agreement. Let's hurry to put an end to corruption so I can put on a mask, unquote. Stupidest statement a president of any modern country has made since Trump said something yesterday. Lopez Obrador wonders why there are protests almost every weekend against his policies and presidency all over the country and why federal courts are standing in his way to taking over the electrical generational generation business that's private right now. He wants to take it over and turn it over to a government agency that spends seven times as much money as private industry does to make a megawatt hour of energy. I'm sorry, Mr. President, doesn't ring well in this, in this precinct. So for example, now the, the government wants to make sure that every village in Mexico gets medical supplies. Okay, fine, that's a worthwhile goal. Okay, so instead of putting out a request for proposal for private companies to do the work, no. He's setting up a whole new government agency just to do that. Now, think about this. Like he says, Coca-Cola gets their brand of products into every village almost in the country. So if Coca-Cola can do it, the government can do it. No, that's not the way to look at it, Mr. President. You should have said, hey, Coca-Cola, here's a request for a proposal. We'd like to develop a system and we'll pay for it to deliver medical products to every village in the country, just like you deliver Coca-Cola. Can you put together a proposal for us? No, he doesn't do that, come on. He announces a new government company, company to own its own distribution system, including trucks to deliver medical supplies to every town and village in Mexico. He asks the question of why medical supplies can't be distributed nationally when Coca-Cola is, or beer is. So instead of putting a national distribution system out to bid by private companies, he forms one more government company. It will fail because almost all government companies fail in Mexico, in England, in the United States. It doesn't matter. Why didn't he put out a request for a proposal, an RFP, which would include the government buying all supplies and the private distribution company being just that distribution? Come on, Mr. President, this is 2020, not 1910. Hey, guess what has arrived in Mexico, what we are used to in the United States? Considering that three out of four Mexicans are overweight, it's about time warning labels are hitting the Mexican supermarket, supermarkets. Labels that point out, you know, saturated fats, sugar content, sodium content, trans fat, calories on a wide group, and carbohydrates, 
on a wide group of canned and bottled foods. Caffeine and sweeteners are also posted uh, now, are pointed out, by uh, so that children don't get uh, the whatever those products are. Some of the uh, products that appeal to children, those that have labels that cannot include children's characters, animations, cartoons, celebrities, athletes, or pets on packaging, so that when kids see it, they go, well, mom, mom, I have to have that because my favorite football player is on her. Calories, sugars, carbs must be on, on a separate label, just like we have in the United States. Chile, Peru, and Uruguay are implementing the same system. So it's, it's creeping throughout Latin America. How long has the United States had these rules? A long time. And I like them. I read the labels. I am diabetic, so I am very conscious of sugar and carbohydrate contents. Abortion. Guess what? It's not just an issue in the United States. And it's not just an issue in front of the Supreme Court in the United States. The subject came up on the Mexican Supreme Court this, in the last few days, and four of five Supreme Court justices voted to preserve state laws that prevent decriminalization of abortion. Currently, Mexico City and the state of Oaxaca allow legal abortions. Other states, for example, Veracruz, have state laws that don't permit it. So what happened was a lower court in Veracruz granted an injunction against the state of Veracruz that prohibited the state from enforcing anti-abortion laws. And so the four voted to dissolve the injunction. The lower court gave the injunction, enjoined the state of Veracruz from enforcing its anti-abortion laws. The state of Veracruz appealed to the state uh, to the United uh, the um, Supreme Court of Mexico, and uh, five justices ruled on it. Four of them voted to dissolve the injunction, so that permits the state to continue enforcing anti-abortion laws. Pro-choice people—they call them pro-choice in Mexico too, instead of pro-abortion, which they should call them. Uh, pro-choice people had hoped the court would set aside the injunction that would have allowed the courts to legalize. Well, the, if the injunction had stood, then other courts could use that as a precedent to allow states or to disallow states from enforcing anti-abortion laws. That was the key to the whole thing. That's why pro-abortion people wanted this decision. They wanted it so that other states like Mexico City and Oaxaca can legalize abortion. Well, if you're a Mexican in uh, Veracruz, you can travel 100 miles. If you want an abortion that badly, you can travel 100 miles by bus. It would cost uh, probably seven, eight, nine, ten dollars maybe, if that much, uh, to go from Veracruz to Mexico City to get an abortion. So. I don't know what the big deal is about. As long as it's legal in Mexico City and everybody can get there, or you can catch a plane. Every city in Mexico has uh, air, airplanes that go uh, from their airport to Mexico City, every single one. Okay, Airbnb. Airbnb is very controversial wherever it is. I know that uh, in San Diego, for example, uh, I wrote a couple articles about the Airbnb uh, that should be regulated and taxed just like hotels are because they compete with hotels. But I, I think that they should be allowed to operate within rules and the city or county can set the rules. Well, the same thing is true in Mexico. What we have though is remember Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador's party, the Morena political party, is anti-business because he's anti-business and he founded that party only to run for president. He could care less about anything else, but he wants to end private business. He's doing it on electrical generation, although the courts are in his way and agencies of the government that he doesn't control are in his way. Well, the same thing is true here. The Morena party has a state senator or a legislator there in Mexico City uh, named Leticia Estrada Hernandez has proposed a law to ban Airbnb and other similar companies from operating in Mexico City. 
it uses the, the proposal uses zoning law. It proposes to ban in all residential areas all, quote, industrial, commercial, or service activities, and for no reason may they be intended for temporary accommodation as offered by the Airbnb platform and other similar platforms, unquote. It also bans nighttime construction, because some people don't like to hear noise at night, that include me on that one. And the fines for violating the new law would be anywhere from $195 to 1,667 American dollars. And it also, here's the kid, this is why leftist maniacs should never be allowed to control government. It forms neighborhood committees to spy on neighbors to make sure they're not violating the law. Reminds you something? Hmm? The Soviet Union, for example? She says that her law is designed to protect property owners and to keep strangers from entering buildings and others from having or constantly having parties. My goodness. Mexico City has 17,229 rooms or between houses and condos and apartments for rent that would be affected. They currently generate 4.34 million pesos per year in tax revenue, about 194,000 U.S. dollars. The average property owner that participates and rents out his place through one of these agencies earns about 38,000 pesos a year over and above his expenses and uh, taxes. Why is AMLO's party, the Morena party and his people, why do they hate private enterprise so much? Gosh, that's a question that I just can't answer. I'm sorry. AMLO proposes a new pension plan, a new national pension plan financed by higher taxes that are more than doubling. And who's supporting this? Mexican business. Workers' pension contributions will rise from 6.5 to 15% over eight years. Employers' contributions will rise from 5.15% to 13.87%. In the United States, it's about 6.5% for employees and uh, I think what is it, 7% for employers, uh, something like that. Uh, so it's basically the same system as what we have here, the Social Security, although what we call Social Security, there they call it a pension plan, okay? Workers' pensions will increase by 40%. That's good. Government contributions to the plan to stay at 0.225%. Most of the government contributions are directed towards the lowest wage earners. In other words, if somebody makes 100 pesos a day, which would be, say, $5, uh, and although the, the minimum wage has gone up, but let's just, for the sake of numbers, let's say you make 100 pesos a day, okay? And your contribution is 6.5%, uh, or actually 5.15% now. So that would be uh, a little less than six, a little over five pesos uh, a day your, would be your contribution, okay? Now, now, that's going to go to 13.87%. So that would be 13.87 pesos. Or the employees will go from 5.15 to 13.87. The employee will go from 6.5 today. So it'd be like six and a half pesos to 15%, which would be 15 pesos on the 100 pesos. Okay. A thousand pesos would be 150 pesos. Okay. Okay. That's the math. The government contributions then will go directly to the lowest wage earners. Let's say the guy who makes 100 pesos a day. So he, his 6.5% wouldn't amount to much, and neither would the 5.15% of the employer contributions. So on top of that, the government would give 0.225% to fatten up that pension account. Pensioners can presently collect about at about uh, 1,250 weeks of work which is about 25 years. That's like in the United States, it's uh, 10 quarters, as I recall. Now, the new plan will change the length of work time to 750 weeks or about 15 years, but the age of collection remains at 60 years. 
AMLO says 82% of the population will have access to the plan. The current plan was set up in 1997. Quote, those who would suffer the most would be current workers. It would erase the possibility of a fair and dignified retirement, Obrador says. That's why a commitment was made to make a new reform to the pension system, and it has the support of the business sector and the labor sector. Unquote. Carlos Salazar Lomelin, president of the National Business Coordinating Council, an umbrella organization representing 12 national business groups, praised the new plan. Quote, I consider it an historic achievement for Mexico. It is truly momentous. We're going to touch the lives of more than 20 million Mexicans. This is enormously important and shows that we're interested in the well-being of Mexico, unquote. I think this is good. It, it brings up the, the, the contributions from both employer and employee and makes for larger pensions down the road and collected actually a little sooner. So you could spend less time on a job. You don't like it, you move on. And you know, that would still count towards your 750 weeks instead of 1,000, uh, over 1,000 weeks. 1,250 weeks. Wow, that's a lot of weeks. A lot of, a lot of years. This is good. This is good for the future of Mexico because retirees tend to spend money as well. And if they have it, they spend it. They don't save when they're in their 60s. Uh, they, uh, like people in, in their 20s should, but don't. Anyway, that's a good deal. I'm very, very happy that Mexico is doing that. Pemex. Where I've said often that government companies simply don't work. Well, we all know that. We can count the failures out that are until they're coming out of our ears. Pemex loses again. Pemex bled another huge loss of 44.3 million pesos or billion pesos, roughly two billion U.S. dollars in the second quarter. Loss was 16% higher than the year before second quarter. Adds 23, adds to the 23 billion peso loss in the first quarter of the year. Government bailout, quote, inevitable, unquote, says Aaron Gifford, asset manager at T. Rowe Price. The government's going to have to save, step in and save Pemex. Its bonds, for example, have recently been declared junk status. So they can't really borrow money on the open market. The good news is that because of the American lockdown being lifted in many places in the United States, even though it was done too soon, and even though more people are contracting the COVID virus, uh, COVID-19 virus, Exports from Mexico in June jumped 76%. The auto industry exports increased 534% over May. Manufactured goods 40%, 40.9% up over May. Agriculture up 32%. That's good. That's good. Because agriculture didn't lose that much. I'll discuss that in the in the next uh, in the next segment. The value of oil exports fell thirty six percent. Pricing is everything. Twenty two percent of decline in imports leads to huge trade surplus. In other words, they imported less because of the lockdown. Fewer people had money to buy things. Biggest trade surplus ever in June, five point five billion dollars. Nine billion turnaround from May. May's trade deficit was 3.52 billion American dollars, but the surplus was 5.5 billion in June. That's a turnaround of nine billion dollars. Do you know how much money nine billion dollars is? Man, that's a lot of money. Trade's really a big deal. Okay, the economy of Mexico bottomed out in May. Exports and the economy were down. The Mexican economy has hit bottom, says President Lopez Obrador, said at his regular news conference that, quote, the worst is behind us, unquote, 
Our strategy has worked. Now we are recovering, quote, unquote. He lives in a fantasy world. He lives in a fantasy world. National statistics show an 18.9% drop in GDP between April and June compared to the same quarter in 2019. This is the worst GDP gross domestic product drop since the 1995 second quarter when the GDP dropped 8.6%. This is more than double that. The industrial sector in manufacturing, construction, and mining dropped 26% during the second quarter. The service sector dropped 15.6%, and here, though, is the good news. Agriculture and fisheries only dropped by 0.3%. Now, think back to what I just said about, about agriculture going up 32%. That easily made up that drop from May and surpassed it. So in June, they exported a lot more than they did in May. A lot more because its drop in May wasn't that much. This is the fifth consecutive quarter that the GDP has dropped, and that, ladies and gentlemen, is the definition of a recession. Lopez Obrador has only had one quarter of growth since he became president December 1, 2018. Why? One reason is he ignored the coronavirus pandemic in its initial infection status. His nationally ordered lockdowns mistakenly classified some important businesses as non-essential, like beer brewing. That, when beer is one of Mexico's largest exports. How stupid is that? Another is his anti-private business government. For example, one of the first things he did is he called for a referendum in the Mexicali Valley, just east of San Diego, as to whether or not a giant brewery, one of the country's largest that was under construction and 75% complete, should be finished because there were protesters from his party, from his people, from the very poor. They protested the new brewery. They said it was a water problem. There's no water problem. They have plenty of water for the brewery. And it would have created a thousand jobs. So they had a phony plebiscite in which about 1% of the people voted. And they voted overwhelmingly against the brewery. And so it had shut down. Constellation Brands, which owns the brewery, has moved on. But that's an example besides trying to cut out all private electrical generation from hundreds of facilities that are already functioning, he's trying to stop the brewery business too because it's private. And he says private business always gets bailed out by the government and he refuses to bail out business. Well, about 150,000 corner stores, little tiendecitas, have gone out of business in Mexico since the lockdown started, and it's projected that they will not return. Another reason is his anti-private business government example, the private electrical generation business, and his attempts to put it out of business, albeit the courts have stopped that massive government takeover. Another reason is Lopez Obrador refuses to borrow money to help business survive the economic collapse caused by Lopez Obrador's refusal to help medium and large businesses make their way through the worst economy since 1930. Exports increased in the second quarter, 76% in June. Surplus, uh, the trade surplus is now 5.5 billion for June, and that's good. Automotive exports, 534% up in June compared to May. Come on, Mr. President, please see the reality. Quit imagining a 100% government-owned business infrastructure for Mexico. It has never worked. That's why Mexico started privatizing 20 years ago. It has had some success. Quit stopping and quit interfering. Let private business do its thing. Okay, well, oh, by the way, before I forget, my email address is hispaniccommentator at gmail.com. I want you to 
remember that I'm going to say it again at the end of this presentation. In the meantime, we're going to now discuss, you recall the last time we discussed the Indian cultures and civilizations of Mexico that the Spanish found in 1519? Well, we're going to discuss the Spanish conquest. Okay, last time we talked about the Indians in Mexico that the Spanish found and how the Toltecs and the Olmecs were uh, in power in and around what is now Mexico City, but eventually the Aztecs made their way down through for the, what is now the United States and northern Mexico, founded the city of Mazatlan in 1325, I think, and then made their way south to Mexico where an imaginary dream or, or a symbol that they were looking for of an eagle holding a snake in its beak on a, sitting on a cactus surrounded by water, they found that symbol in uh, what is now Mexico City, but it was called Tenochtitlan. It was an old Indian civilization that had been there for a while, starting with the Toltecs. But now the Aztecs came in. They were not called the Aztecs. Uh, they were called the Chichimecas, the wild or bad Indians, as I discussed last time. And I know that because that was my nickname in college by my, my best friend when we were taking the history of Mexico class. And he called me Chichimeca, wild or bad Indians. Okay. The Aztec Empire reached its height in the early 16th century under Emperor Moctezuma. That was also the time that Spanish adventurers were swarming by the hundreds to the West Indies following the discovery of the Americas in 1492 by Christopher Columbus. The first contact with Mexico occurred in 1517 when explorer Francisco Hernandez de Córdoba landed on the Yucatan coast. A subsequent expedition by Juan de Grijalva confirmed a land dominated by a powerful people who were despised by those forced to pay tribute to them. The Spanish governor of Cuba, Diego Velázquez, then sent a larger force under Hernán Cortés with instructions to trade with the inhabitants. Cortés, however, had more ambitious plans and after landing on the coast of Veracruz in 1521, made his way to Tenochtitlan, today ruins of the Templo Mayor archaeology site in the center of Mexico City, the then center power of the Aztec Empire, which was built in the middle of a lake. Using a mixture of terror and persuasion, Cortes gained allies during his march towards Tenochtitlan. Moctezuma received the Spanish with honors, fearing that they might be gods, according to an ancient prophecy, the prophecy of Quetzalcoatl, who said he would be back. Problems began when Cortes had to leave the city to meet a Spanish force sent by Velazquez to arrest him. When he returned, the Aztecs were fighting to expel the Spanish. Cortes made Moctezuma go onto the roof of a palace to tell his people to withdraw, but the Aztec chief was received with a barrage of stones wounding him. He died several days later, and under the warlike leader, Huitualhuac, the Aztecs continued their fight against the invaders. The Spanish attempted to escape one night known as the Noche Triste, somber night, or sad night, actually. They were discovered as they crept along one of the roadways that led out of the city, and a fierce battle ensued in which Cortes lost many of his men. Cortes afterwards took refuge with his Tlaxcalteca Indians, allies, and in June 1521, Cortes started the final assault on Tenochtitlan, armed with small ships to use on the lake and with thousands of local Indian allies that hated the Aztecs. By August that year, he had captured the city and made a prisoner of the new Aztec leader, Cuauhtomec. I pass the Cuauhtomec uh, monument here in Tijuana uh, almost every day that I'm on the road, especially on my way to uh, the U.S. Cuauhtomec had died in an outbreak of smallpox, which the Spaniards brought, which decimated the local population. That is the conquest of the Mexican uh, city, or what is now Mexico City. It was called Tenochtitlan then, and it was the capital of the Aztec Empire. Once the Aztec Empire was defeated, the Spanish then took over and introduced the colonial era, which we will discuss next time. Again, let me give you my email address. It's 
Hispanic Commentator. That's one word. Hispanic Commentator. Two C's and two M's at gmail.com. Send me an email if you want to know anything about the podcast or about Mexico or whatever, or about me, and I will be more than happy to answer uh, your inquiries. And if it's pertinent, I'll read them uh, here at the podcast. And if it's a question, I'll read the question and give the answer. Because if you have that question, then others do too. I want to thank you for being there. This is Raul Lowry Contreras. This is the Contreras Report, Business Mexico, Issue 111-111. Thanks. We'll talk to you next time.